0: pray with me. Father, would you do exactly the words that we just sang? Would you speak clearly to each of us right where we need to be? Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being able to do exactly that. Father, would you communicate to our heart in the same way that Jesus communicated to the hearts of the people that he spent time with. Communicate in such a way that it doesn't just reveal a new thought or a new idea or or something of particular interest, but so that it changes us. And so that ultimately we look much more like your son In everything that we do. Speak to us, Father. In spite of the one whose mouth you're using, speak truth to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can often tell what people value based on watching their behavior. Have you ever noticed that? You can usually see how someone behaves and make a pretty honest deduction about what they value. Uh, I read a story yesterday that said there was a gentleman who camped out four days days in sub-zero temperatures just to be the first customer at Whataburger in Colorado Springs. What did he value? He's probably from Texas, first of all, but what did he value? All right, we see people who um, wait in long lines to purchase tickets to go to a concert. Not just any concert, but the concert or the group that they value. We see people sit outside in cold temperatures to watch their favorite game. What do they value? They value that particular experience, whether it's NHL or NFL or whatever it might be you kind of get the idea many times we look at behavior and We can tell what a person values based on what they're doing You can often see that and it's true not just of an individual. It's true of groups. It's true of organizations It's true of of collections of people Based on what they prioritize and based on what they value we see behavior flowing out of that because What we value shows up and what we do and what we plan to do and our behavior our speech our actions our reactions they're all a product of what we really value as jesus traveled from town to town teaching not only his closest followers but teaching anyone who would be in his company he began to recognize behavior in people. And it wasn't that the behavior was bad. It's just that he noticed that some of the behavior wasn't necessarily helpful. In some instances, while the behavior wasn't necessarily bad, the behavior wasn't just not helpful, it was hurtful. And so Jesus would speak many times lessons of value following behavior that he had observed and he would he would couch things in in a different framework so that maybe his listeners would understand and these behaviors revealed these behaviors ve- revealed what the people around him had learned to value every time they did something or they reacted in a certain way it revealed what they had been taught and, and Jesus also recognized that They weren't bad people. They had just learned to value things from their culture like you and I do. They had learned to value things out of their tradition like you and I do. They had learned to value things based on things they had observed other people doing and they adopted those values. In some cases, subconsciously. But as followers, both then and now of Christ, we look to him not just to see what Jesus did, Not just to see how he behaved, but we try to discern what it was that was most valuable to him because when we adopt what Jesus valued, we will not have to be worried about whether or not our behavior is like his behavior. Our behavior will flow out of valuing what he values. And that's really what today in the next little bit is going to be about. We know what it looks like when, what a person values when they're waiting long lines for tickets, right? We talked about that. What does it mean when a preacher looks at his watch? Absolutely nothing. All right, I had to get that out of the way. But it begs the question as we get started, what was it actually that Jesus valued? Think about that for a moment. Because what we see is that Jesus valued people. People. His priority was people. And not just people, Jesus valued people who were nothing like himself. Jesus valued people who didn't look like him, who didn't act like him, who didn't dress like him, who didn't hang out with the people that typically were hanging out with Jesus. Jesus Jesus acknowledged people that the rest of society and culture would never acknowledge, and he spent time with them. He liked people who were nothing like himself. And you know what? They liked him back. They liked him. Because he valued them, they found themselves caught up in the pull to spend time with him and to find where he was and to find where he was going and to, and to make sure that they were there to hear what he had to say. And, and his value of people is revealed in his behavior, but it's also seen in their behavior back toward Him. In Luke 15, we get a glimpse of how this kind of behavioral cycle, based on what Jesus valued, we we begin to get a glimpse of what it was producing. And and we're going to look at it through three different translations because I think each one gives us kind of a unique perspective, if you will, on this scenario. Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, out of the NCV, the tax collectors and sinners all came to listen to Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to complain. Look. This man welcomes sinners. And and he even eats with them. He doesn't just welcome them. He eats with them. Let's look at it in the amplified version. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners, important parenthetical here, including non-observant Jews, what does that mean? They were of Jewish heritage, they were of Jewish culture, they were of Jewish tradition, they grew up knowing what all Jews knew, but they simply were not observing. They weren't weren't at synagogue on a regular basis. They they weren't connected to everything Jewish. It included non-observant Jews. They were coming near to Jesus to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and scribes began muttering. You know what muttering is, right? And complaining, saying, this man accepts and welcomes sinners and eats with them. They're put out with this behavior. I like the way the message phrases it. By this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation. We were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. And the Pharisees and religion scholars were not pleased, not pleased at all. And they growled. He takes in sinners and eats, meals with them, treating them like old friends. And their grumbling triggered this story, which we'll get into in a minute. It's actually a triad of stories we're going to take a look at. Well, what's to be made of this opening text? We find that Jesus values people who are nothing like himself, and they like him back, and he values them, and his behavior reveals that because he has no problem pulling up a chair at the coffee shop and or at Waterburger, Doesn't bother him one bit. But the Pharisees and the religion scholars were terribly put out with this, and they muttered, they growled, they complained, they were irritated. Does it give you some insight into what they value? Does their behavior reveal a, a different kind of value system? Keep this in mind for later on in this story. But here's the truth of the matter. Everybody values something, including you and I. And the question for us becomes, do we value what Jesus values? Doug Burney, do I value what Jesus valued? I mean, I know I say I valued what Jesus values, but do I? Does it show up in my behavior? Does it show up in my attitude? Does it show up in the way that I act and or react? And the opening text here reveals a great deal about what's being valued by Jesus. Clearly, he values people. He doesn't care what size they are, where they came from, what background they have. He's not looking at their attendance records at synagogue. He doesn't care if they're Jewish or non-Jewish. He doesn't care if they are outcast or part of the in crowd. If it's a people he welcomes it. If it's a person, he, he, he wants them to be in his presence. It is very clear, and it's also very clear by the behavior of the Pharisees and the religion scholars, what they value. I think sometimes when we read this, we give the Pharisees and religion scholars kind of a hard time, and we go, well, you know, they should just straighten up. No, 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 no. You try and change behavior without changing the value that prompts it, that's where we get things called, you know, hypocrisy right? When you behave a certain way, but you'd really like to behave another way. Jesus recognizes they're only behaving the way cultures taught them to behave. They're only behaving out of what they've learned is valuable. What these poor people don't understand is that there's a better thing to value than what's producing this particular behavior in them. What we value shows up in what we do and in how we behave, not just in our mission statements in our New Year's resolutions. And if the church collectively and the church individually is going to reflect Christ here on earth, it should value what he valued. Not just in a statement about mission or one of the ten values of the church. It should show up where anything we value shows up in our unforced natural behavior. So for what it's worth, Jesus tells a set of stories, and I'll review to you here in just a little bit the fact that these set of stories were, were actually prompted by a set of things that have happened prior to this, and I'll let you in on that here in just a moment. But the prevailing religious view in the day is what is prompting the muttering and complaining and and irritation of the Pharisees and the religion scholars. And and, and it was that they valued appropriateness. They, they, They valued spiritual duty, and they valued temple Uh, activities, and they valued religious activities, and they valued things that, that their heritage and their culture had taught them to value. Today, that might look like, you know, good church attendance and people who dress right, and people who live in the right kind of zip code, and drive the particular kind of car, or attend a particular kind of school. I mean, you fill it in. They had simply learned to value those kinds of things. The view of the non-religious, the non-observant folks, the outcast, if you will, was, was typically, I know my place, and it's not among the religious. Yes, I was born a Jew, yes, I grew up Jewish, yes, I've heard all the Jewish stories, but man, when I go to synagogue, I do not feel like I belong there could never wear the robes of the phylacteries. I could never recite scripture. I could never do any of those things. I'm not good enough to be there. Where do you think they got that idea? It was out of experiencing the behavior that was produced by the values of religious folks. I mean, folks, I could stop right here. This isn't just something that was happening in the first century when Jesus walked the earth. Is it not something that happens today? Are there not people walking... In our community right now, I mean, I've heard it. I've heard it. I've heard people say, you know, Doug, I'd love to come to church, but you know, I just I've tried that, been there, done that. That's just not. I can't. I don't fit there. What are they really saying? I don't feel welcome there. I feel judged there. I feel evaluated there. I I, I feel out of place there. And whether they've ever experienced that or not, they've heard enough experiences from other people or maybe family members, and they're just like, where did they get that idea? So Jesus, aware of the grumbling and complaining that's going on, breaks into a set of stories. Here they are. You're probably familiar with them. Let's just read through these. Then Jesus told them this story. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep but loses one of them. Now he's talking about sheep because the predominant industry of the day was agriculture. and The majority of people in the audience would have gotten it. Right, This wasn't like a story that you had to be on an inside track to get. Everybody was familiar with right? Because they were herded up and down the street. It was a primary source of food and income. Everybody had, you know, everybody had Muffy, Buffy, and Fluffy standing out in the pasture. They got sheep. They understood sheep. And so Jesus tells a story that everyone understand Because remember, there's a crowd amassed and they consist of those outsiders and the people who Jesus valued and liked that were not like himself and the religious folks. He says, suppose he has a hundred sheep but loses one of them. Then he will leave the other 99 sheep in the open field and go out to look for the lost sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, He happily puts it on his shoulder and goes home. And he calls to his friends and neighbors and says, be happy with me because I found my lost sheep. And at this point, the folks in the crowd are probably looking and going, yeah, yeah, I've been there. I remember when Muffy ran away. You know, Dad made me go out and look for her. Yeah, yeah, I remember when the neighbor called and the sheep got out and we all had to form a search party and we searched all through the night until we found them. Right? People are nodding. Yes, yes, yes. We get this. We understand. That's exactly what you do when you have a herd and the count comes up short. You leave the herd in the security of the herd and you go look for the one that's out there somewhere. We all get this. We've heard lessons on this countless times. Jesus says in the same way I tell you there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes his heart and life than over 99 good people who don't need to change and this particular statement may have caused some people to raise an eyebrow or tilt their head a bit where's the value one sheep? if one one hundredth of what you have goes missing you go after it you pursue it here's the second story suppose a woman has 10 silver coins but loses one she will light a lamp sweep the house and look carefully for the coin until she finds it and when she finds it she'll call her friends and neighbors and say be happy with me because i have found the one coin that i lost In the same way, there is joy in the presence of angels, the angels of God, when one sinner changes his heart and life. This story's a little different. In the first story, it was somebody lost one one-hundredth of what they had. In this particular case, this woman has ten coins, and she loses one. That's a tenth of all she has. And yet that coin was only worth a day's wages. And the neighbors probably all thought she was nuts because she was going through and searching for this one coin. I mean, I'm sure there are people in the day who would have said, Lady, would you settle down just a coin? But it wasn't just a coin to her. It was a tenth of her portfolio. was a tenth of her everything she possessed and so when she found that coin she called every neighbor every friend she was so excited to find that jesus says i just want you to understand in the first lost story someone lost one 100th and they celebrated when they found it in this story a person lost a tenth of what they had and they celebrated and invited other people into celebrating and now jesus moves into a story not about one 100th and not about one tenth but about half The stakes are getting higher with each story being told. And and this is absurd value that Jesus is emphasizing in this third story. Then Jesus said, a man had two sons. And the younger son said to his father, give me my share of the property. So the father divided the property between the two sons. And then the younger son gathered up all that was his and traveled far away to another country. And you all are familiar with what happened. We've read this story. We've heard this story. The younger son... Goes and he squanders every single cent that he inherited. He blew every last dime of it, and he got right down to the bare bones of having to try and find job and and to be able to feed himself. And he found you know this job taking care of you know slopping swine, slopping swine. anybody ever slop swine? Show of hands. No swine sloppers. Okay, let me just tell you, not pleasant. And here's the deal, the, the young man was so hungry, he had gone so long without a decent meal that he was actually looking at the slop and thinking, man, I'd like to get a bite of that. In this story, there's a good chance that the son was gone relationally long before he ever left home, you think? I mean, at some point, the son said, I'm done with this, right? I can't put up with dad anymore. My older brother's driving me absolutely nuts. I'm not going to wait till dad dies. I want my share now. The son was gone relationally long before he left home. He wasn't lost because he slowly lost track of this course, like maybe the sheep did. You know how sheep get lost? One tender bite of grass at a time. Ooh, look, another bite. Ooh, look, another bite. Ooh, look, another bite. And about 25 bites later, the herd is, the flock is no longer in sight. How did the coin get lost? The coin got lost on accident. This young man was not lost on accident. He was lost on purpose. And you feel these different layers of emotion coming into the story. As, as, as this is a story about losing half of what you have. This father has just, he only had two sons. He's lost one of them. And he was lost on purpose and intentionally. It likely would have been the source of some embarrassment and some shame. Haven't seen the youngest son of yours. Yeah, well, uh, when's he coming back to visit? If, uh, not really Sure, you know how the story goes. But something happens. in the story. While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt sorry for his son. And so the father ran to him and hugged him and kissed him. And the son said... I've sinned against God and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The son has this moment where he realizes, I have completely and totally blown it. We know the whole, you know, he practices all the way home. I got to tell dad this. I got to tell dad this. I got to tell dad, look, 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 look. I'm not looking to be your son again. I'm just looking to to be a servant for you. I'm just looking to live with your servants. Just someplace where I could get one square meal a day. I'd be happy with that. And in the son's humility, the father decides not just to welcome him home, but to throw this huge, extravagant celebration. And now we see what the father valued. And it's revealed in his behavior. He goes in and, and, and he clothes his, his son in the finest clothes. And he puts a ring on his finger, likely a signet ring, bearing some kind of family identity. He's not only, he's not only putting clothes on the back of his son, who probably had very little clothing left. But he also restores his son to the family by putting a ring on his finger and he puts sandals on his feet and he kills a fat calf and he throws a feast and the father says, my son was dead, but now he is alive again. He was lost, parentheses, on purpose. But now he is found. And so they began to celebrate The loss of one one one-hundredth, the loss of one-tenth, the loss of one-half. And in each case, when the thing that was lost was found, there was great celebration. Mostly. If you're familiar with the story, you know there's somebody who's not at the party. The older son is ticked. Refuses to go in. The older son is disgruntled he kind of pitches a fit he says i'm not going in there why is the older son not celebrating that the younger son has come home and this is kind of the last point that i leave you with the gravitational pull of our value system is always downward it's always internal it always makes us think of me first it always. It's true not just of individuals. It's true of organizations. It's true of institutions. Many times, somewhere in there, the the value thing is always external. It's to who can we welcome and who can we who can we invite in. But but sometimes things get kind of centered around to where we start looking at what we can do for us and what we can do that makes us look better. And what we and this older son literally gets caught up in this gravitational pull downward. Here's what it says: the older son was angry and would not go in into the feast so his father went out and begged him to come in but the older son said to his father i have served you like a slave for many years and have always obeyed your commands but you never gave me even a young goat to at least have a party with my friends what's he valuing what values producing this behavior Let's revisit the beginning of Luke 15. The Pharisees and religion scholars are muttering and complaining. Why? Because he accepts and welcomes sinners and eats with them. And these stories are revealing what Jesus valued and, and what his father values. In each of these stories, Jesus says, I'll tell you something, man, there's more. There's more in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom that I've invited you to be a part of. There is a great deal of celebration when whatever is lost is found and brought, and brought home. There's great celebration, and yet we see the religious folks crumbling like the older brother's. Grumbling. What set all these stories up wasn't just the muttering and complaining over the fact that Jesus welcomed people that nobody else would come close to. But the fact that in Jesus' travel, prior to this particular instance, Jesus has healed a woman in the temple on the Sabbath, and the synagogue leader pitches a fit. and says, there are six other days you can do this in some other place. What is the synagogue leader valuing? Tradition what's appropriate, what fits where, what is Jesus valuing. Here's a woman who's hurting and she's been hurting for a long time. I'm going to heal her. Here's another instance where Jesus is at a a, a feast that he's been invited to by a leading Pharisee and there's a man there with dropsy and Jesus asks, can I heal it? Is it okay to heal him? And they wouldn't answer him. Jesus heals the man and sends him on his way and all of the religious leaders are perplexed. What in the world's going on here? What are they all valuing? They're valuing decorum and what's appropriate at a dinner party. Jesus is looking and saying, I see someone who's hurting. I'm going to fix this. In both cases, Jesus references that they would take care. When Jesus speaks to the people who are upset in each of these instances, he says, listen, wouldn't, wouldn't you lead your livestock out? Don't you lead your livestock out to water them on the Sabbath? Jesus said the real problem here is you like and pay better attention to and take better care of your livestock than you do of these people who were created in the image of my father. I'm inviting you to change what you value. These folks weren't bad people, but they were led to act and behave and respond according to what they had learned to value. Jesus, why in the world... Are you constantly in the presence of people who are nothing like yourself? Why are you constantly pursuing those people? And the question that I want to leave you with this morning is, what have you learned to value that maybe you need to unlearn? What have you learned to value that perhaps would do well if you, if you let that value go and you adopted a different value? I mean, there's a great quote by Andy Stanley that says, what was true of Jesus personally should be true of the church collectively, which at the very least means whatever was true of Jesus personally should be true of us personally? Are there some values that we've adopted along the way that maybe we need to just have a long sit down with ourselves and say, you know what? My behavior reveals that I value some things. And maybe, maybe when I look at Jesus, I see him valuing things that I currently don't really value. Maybe I need to make a concerted effort to choose to value what Jesus valued. Wherever I go, when I'm at work, when I'm at school, when, when, when I'm in my neighborhood, when I'm among people who are nothing like me, rather than noticing all the ways that they're different and not like me, God, would you direct my attention to what you value and let me adopt that? You know, it wasn't just happenstance that the father happened to look up one day and see his son on the horizon. As a dad, I can tell you if one of my kids got lost on purpose, I think every morning I'd be looking at the horizon to see if I could see their silhouette, to see if perhaps who's who's that out at the front gate hoping and longing that it would be them coming home May we learn to value what our Father values by always, wherever you are, keeping our eyes on the horizon. And why is that so important? Why is it so valuable that we keep our eyes on the horizon? It's because the horizon is that place where heaven meets earth. And it's the place that Jesus invited us to value. May it be so with you today. Tomorrow and this week, collectively, may we keep our eyes ever on the horizon.